0: Church on the rock or um, I don't say this nicely maybe you're not paying attention uh, we have this schedule of going through this routine of going through all of Scripture and so uh, we actually start in Genesis and then we work our way forward in the narrative story God's redemptive narrative and um, throughout history. And so you can actually trace this through, uh, if you look down in the bottom right-hand corner, which I realize is wrong, you know, the way you read is top left to right, or going from bottom right, is the start. And so uh, you can see that we're tracing our story through uh, the biblical narrative, through uh, book by book, almost sequentially, linearly. And so, just to catch you up on what we're doing, where we've come from, and where we're going next, I thought I'd just do a little recap. What, where are we in the narrative arc of God's redemptive plan in history? and so he starts in Genesis right he introduces himself as a good God who creates good things and in in that process he actually wants to have a good relationship with his creation and so he establishes that creation here on the earth and then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he says you have, have a choice now if you want to be with me you can be here if not Eat from that tree, and we'll see what happens. And so Adam and Eve, of course, choose to eat the apple and and fall. And the consequences of that is that they leave the Garden of Eden. And so then they lament over this process of of losing Eden, right? That's the next phase of the story is chapters 4 through 11. After the fall has happened, God is looking on the earth and saying, Is anyone going to follow me? Is this this really going to? Happen, And he's, again, stepping in, presenting himself as a good God, interjecting into humankind, calling them to himself. And then he meets Abram, and he says, will you follow me? And Abram says, yes, and that whole story plays out, and he begins the story of the patriarchs. What God does there is He says to Abram, "I will make you a nation. I will give you a land. I will make your name great, and through you I will bless the entire creation." We're going to go forward, and people are going to know me through you. So then they go into the exit or the Egypt, the Egypt narrative of of slavery, and God steps in once again to prove Himself. This time is not just good or a creating God, but one who is mighty to save. He reaches in to Israel in the midst of captivity when they have done absolutely nothing to prove themselves. Draws them out and blesses them mightily through the Egyptians. And then he leads them into the wilderness. Moses is leading them, passes them through the Red Sea, defeating the enemy. And then he gives them the law. Notice, and then he gives them the law. He didn't say, I'll save you based on your efforts. I already saved you from slavery. Now here's the law. Here's how to live life with me. If you want to have a good life with me, here's how to do it. And when you mess up, not if you mess up, when you mess up, here is the pathway to come back into my presence. That's the gospel right there in Exodus, the second book. There's no debating that the Old Testament God is the New Testament God. His word is the same. Every time. Israel's response to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 24 is actually, yes, twice they say, yes, we will follow you. We would love to follow you and make and and know you the way that you've described yourself. And then there's a little verse where they have a party over receiving the Ten Commandments wait, what? They have a party. They throw a celebration from receiving the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine we have three birthdays coming up in March and April? Can you imagine if we threw a birthday party for our kids based on the Ten Commandments? People would think we're nuts. (laughs) We're going to highlight one of the Ten Commandments. Hey kids, can you follow the Fourth Commandment? Honor your father and mother with all your... (laughs) Right? I could get behind that. So... God leads them through the wilderness, to the gates of the promised land. They reject the promised land. He leads them back to the promised land through Moses, leads them into the promised land with Joshua, and then comes the phases of the judges. The phases of the judges, the book of Judges is this spiral narrative, downward, all the way down. Each judge, worse and worse and worse, it goes for them, because they are disobedient towards the Lord. And then at the end of that, they say, we want a king, and then steps in Samuel, and Samuel leads them towards having a king, and the first one goes very poorly, right? Story of Saul's not really a great one. And then we have one king who's great, who's not without his sin or tragedy, but he's great because he follows and leads the nation of Israel towards the Lord. And then you have Solomon, and Solomon chooses all the women over God and has his heart turns away, and then Solomon dies. First Kings one through 11 is the story of Solomon. First Kings 12 is the story of the rest of the kings. So that's where we're gonna hop in. We're gonna hop into who's the next king? What happens with the next one? And so on and so on. And the, Isra- and the nation of Israel in response to that kingship. So, today, our focus is going to be on Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to ask you four questions. And those four questions all have to do with yolks. Not egg yolks, but yolk yolks. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yolks. You go to that first picture this piece of wood in between these two ox, oxen, oxes, eye I like that one. <laughs> this is a yoke. If you've ever been to our training on intentional, you know that the yoke is very important. You know that the yoke ties you to someone stronger who knows better than you and can lead you through the work that's ahead of you. And in that sense is very positive sense of a yoke. But in today's story, I'm going to introduce you to a slightly more negative version of what a yoke could be. What could a yoke be? Scott? Uh, that's that's just mixing stuff. That's not it. Next one? Whip. Ghost ride the whip. Anybody? Anybody done that? Some people are too old. Some people are too young. to Get that reference? It's where you drive the car without being in it. So therefore, that's a whip. No, (laughs) no, whip, mix, yoke something. Next one, whip, Indiana Jones, that's for Joey. Whip, whip is another word for yoke, another sense of what it means to be yoked to something. And so this idea is not really a positive one, would you say? I don't really like to get whipped, but here we are with Harrison Ford. So I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to ask you four questions. Okay? First Kings. We'll back up a little bit. First Kings 11. Where are we in the narrative? Solomon has 700 wives. And he chooses to be disobedient before the Lord by pursuing all of these women. But not just that, he goes about building all of these altars to their gods and following after them. Under every tree, he sets up a high place and an altar to worship those gods. And so God looks down on where he at, where he is and how he's leading his nation in the sense of where Solomon's heart is and says... This isn't the way forward. And so what God does is he actually steps in and he raises up a number of adversaries to Solomon. God raises up adversaries to people. Raises up someone to oppose the king of Israel. One of those people is Jeroboam, Jeroboam is an average guy working in the forced labor of Solomon but he tends to uh, rise to the top he's, he's a leader amongst the forced labor and so Solomon sees this and says you know what I would really love for you to lead the forced labor and express my interest on my people and build to my heart's content so God in his interjecting says you know what I'm going to take Jeroboam and his experience, and I'm actually going to give the kingdom into his hand. I'm going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon, and I'm going to give it to Jeroboam. And so the prophet comes to Solomon, or to Jeroboam, and says, You're going to get 10 Israelite tribes and I'm gonna leave one in the hands of Solomon, but I'm only gonna do that after Solomon dies. Solomon hears about the prophecy from the prophet and sends out assassins to execute Jeroboam. You're not gonna oppose my kingship, so I'm just gonna take you out. So Jeroboam runs to Egypt and remains there until Solomon dies. Chapter 12 opens up, and it says that Rehoboam, Solomon's son, moves towards Shechem, the refuge city, the first place where Abram steps into the promised land before it's his, to be anointed king. And Jeroboam hears it, and he says, now's my opportunity, I'm gonna go back and enter into this nation, and I'm gonna be the king now. And so he comes, and as Rehoboam's uh, Being exalted as king, all of Israel follows Jeroboam to his his throne and says, Hey, uh, we want to know something about you. 1 Kings 12, 3-4. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So they ask, are you going to be the same as your father was towards us? And Rehoboam says, wait three days, I'm going to get some counsel, and then I'll get back with you. And so he he calls on the old men, the men who stood before King Solomon, to give him wisdom, to speak into what he should say, how he should respond. The old man, he asked the old man, how do you advise me to answer? And they said, 1 Kings twelve seven. if you will be a servant, if you, King Rehoboam, will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be servants forever. I'll be your servants forever. And King Rehoboam hears that and he goes, Nah. That sounds like terrible wisdom. So then he goes to a group of his buddies, his friends, and he says, hey guys, how should we answer these people? They say, 1 Kings 12, 10 through 11, my little—you should say this to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. That sounds terrible. Scorpions? What are you, you're just going to follow them around and throw scorpions on them to get them to do what you want to do? So the people come back. And Rehoboam answers them and he says, I'm, if you thought that my, my dad was somebody uh, to put you into slavery, I'm gonna be so much worse. That's what he means by my little finger is thicker than my dad's thighs. In comparison to my dad's entire stature, I am this much bigger than him. I'm this much more than he is. And the sense of slavery that you had under him will be that much worse So all of Israel hears this, and they go, you know what? If you want us to be your slaves like that, we don't want to have any part of it. And so they leave Shechem, they leave Rehoboam behind and say, you can enslave your own tribe, Judah, of which you are the leader of, but we're going to depart from you, have nothing to do with it. And so Rehoboam looks at the situation and says, you can't do that, I'm the king. And he sends his buddy, Adoram, the taskmaster, out into the people and says, no, 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 you've got to listen to the taskmaster. And the, Israel, the whole of Israel responds and says, no, we won't, and just murders the guy, stones him to death. We're not following you. It's not going to happen. And so Jeroboam now leads this other group, the other 10 tribes, and Rehoboam flees to Jerusalem, and he's only there. He only has kingship in that one tribe. And Rehoboam gets there and he gathers 180,000 men and says to himself, no, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. You are going to listen to me. And so, so much that I will go to war against my own people in order to have my way. But God, 1 Kings 12, 22-24 says, But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord of God, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. God is the one who is directing this. Rehoboam doesn't actually have the authority to go and proclaim his kingship over the other portion of the nation because God is the one who is ultimately at work in this. How is he going to thwart God's movement? The text goes on to say about Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles that... uh, for a little while, he follows the Lord. And in Jerusalem, things are going pretty well. 2 Chronicles 11, 5 through 7 says this It says, Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem and he built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Etom, Tico, Bethzur, Soko, Adalom, 15 different fortified cities. He learned nothing from the experience. This is the way that I have to move forward by building and exerting my authority over people. And then it goes on to say that when he had finally become strong, he turned from the Lord and that his life ends with the phrase that we so often found in Judges. That he did evil in sight of the Lord. Yet another king. Now we're one out of four. 25%. Saul, Solomon, Rehoboam. David's the only one that followed the Lord. When I come to this text, I, I, I can't help but notice the things that people are carrying through it. All of the characters have something that they're carrying. This oppressive yoke that is upon them. And it's difficult for life, just in general. Everything's difficult. So I'm gonna ask you four questions. Four questions of the text, but four questions of where are you? Where are you in this? Where are we? First one is, what yoke was given to you? passage starts out with the people approaching Rehoboam and they say, your father put a heavy yoke on us. Your father, Solomon. So what did Solomon do? 1 Kings 9, 15, 18 and 19 says this, and this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house and the Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. There's two more whole verses of places that he built. And Balaith and Tamor in the wilderness, in the land of Judah and all the storehouses and the storehouses of chariots and the storehouses for horsemen. And whatever Solomon desired to build for Jerusalem, he built it. The people say, how much more building can we do here? It's, it seems like building isn't really getting to the heart of what you want to do. You you want to build these cities and proclaim your kingdom in this area, but you just can't stop doing it. It's over and over and over again, you build. And what's ironic about that is that as jeroboam is the one who is raising raising is being raised up through the forced labor he's the one who is man this guy's off i don't like being a part of his system here why do why do i why do we have to do all of this stuff for him if you ask you took a census of people in the room young young adults people who have left their parents home but they don't have kids yet. And you ask them, how'd your parents do in raising him? You get one of three responses. I'm sure of it. The first one would be, my parents were absolutely terrible. The next one would be, my parents were okay. And the next one would be, my parents were were pretty good. You know, they treated me right. But here's the thing. Either directly or indirectly, however you respond to that question, you have actually received different yokes from your parents. You've taken on things that they do, that they live by all the time. Those things are given to you. No matter how well they did, you pick them up and you hold them. I can't help but read this story and hear my dad's story overlaid on it. My dad was born in 1950, and if you were to hear his story, you would think that he was born 50 years earlier than that, grew up in South Carolina, grew up in this little house that now doesn't exist because his uh, brother in law or then brother in law burned it down. Uh, it was a very old house, very rickety, uh, two story white southern house. That's the picture, right? Um, but when it blew wind, it came in and they lived with his parents and his grandmother. And they and their whole family, their whole extended family, uh, worked jobs and then um, worked the land that they owned cotton and the reason i say that it's he's half a decade before his time or after his time uh, is that he has stories of of living on this property and there being sharecroppers there i mean i'm going through like history of my own u.s history and hearing about sharecroppers like oh yeah my dad had that (laughs) where they lived on the land and shared property with these people, and did, they didn't pay them, they just let them live there. And they had great relationships, but it's just, it's just a crazy way of living. It's like, you wait, this was your experience of growing up? This is so far removed from me. And so my dad will tell you, if you ask him, what was, what was life like when you grew up? He's like, well, I actually hated summer because all summer— what I did from sunup to sundown was hoe cotton all day long. I had a break for lunch, and I worked the whole time. And I looked forward to going to school. And the only reason I looked forward to going to school was so that I could not hoe cotton anymore. And I'm thinking, wow, I guess picking those weeds isn't so bad, you know? Something's being given to my Dad. In that narrative and what's being given to Rehoboam by his father is this if you build it I'll be pleased with you this is the way that you're going to exert your kingship is to build Solomon surely handed down this burdensome slavery that all of Israel is carrying but also his son Question number two. What is the yoke that you carry? First Kings 12:7. And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them, when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. This is the pathway forward to humble yourself, to love these people. And Rehoboam looks on that advice and says, what, are you kidding me? That's not what I learned from my dad. The way that I'm going to lead through this is to oppress people, for them to do what I want them to do. Remember, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. I'll prove it to you. So the things that we carry are the things that we're given are the things that we carry. if you were to ask people who are in my situation have a young family little kids or who have had young kids they might tell you that they woke up one day and they realized i have become my parents i don't i said to myself when i was a little kid i'll never do that and yet here i am Displaying exactly that same behavior to a new group of people. <laughs> the way that Matthew puts it, or Jesus in Matthew 23, he says, uh, "Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. If you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves." You carry this yoke, this thing that you've been given, and you think, man, I'm I'm gonna give this off to someone else. Or maybe you don't think about it at all, and you just allow yourself to do those things. It's the way that that happened for me. I have all these stories about my dad and I doing projects around the house. And if you're from the South, your home has one thing all over the place, ceiling fans, Ceiling fan is probably the greatest invention for everybody living in South Carolina, you know? It's moving all that hot air around. We got ceiling fans before they engineered the piece that you screwed into the ceiling and then just hung the ceiling fan there, right? So two things happened. The engineers made a way to hang it without you having to hold it up, and it became much lighter, right? So goes all technology. It becomes lighter and easier over time. I had the unfortunate disposition to be before both of those things. And so when my dad and I hung ceiling fans, guess who was holding the ceiling fan up? Me. On top of that, my dad is also a little OCD. And everything has to be like perfect. In fact, he had a job of putting in lights. It was one of his first jobs. And so every electricity, electrical stuff... I mean, he's got it down. He's going to make it work, and it's going to be perfect. But it's going to take forever, (laughs) you know. And so here I am in my grandmother's house, standing on a chair, holding up this thing, and I'm just watching him. Like, look at this thing. I'm thinking, Dad, can you just, you just screw the thing in, and let's be done with this. This is not fun. I got frustrated. He got frustrated. And what I learned from that interaction is, indirectly or directly from him, doesn't matter. What I picked up and what I began to carry was that my worth is based on what I do. He would never say that, but that's what was happening in me. He would never say, you're only worth it because you do these things. He would say, He loves me no matter what. He does say that. But I have this thing that I carry. Rehoboam's worth is coming from how much he builds. 15 cities. Third question. What is the yoke you give to others? This is where it gets like... Real hard, if you're honest with yourself. First Kings twelve eighteen. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was a taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. Rehoboam is leading his people towards their own destruction forcing them into oppressed labor without realizing it what he's doing is communicating in his heart this is how I'm going to get my worth and you need to come along with me and in the process of doing that what he's doing is taking the yoke that is on his shoulders the one that the things that he believes about himself and saying you need to believe these things too Mary and I have been married for eight years. And uh, before we got married, I thought I was going to be a fantastic husband. You know, in all of the ignorance. <laughs> I'm just going to step into this and be awesome at this. And then about three weeks after we got home from our honeymoon, we went to our house church and I told my pastor who had done our premarital, counsel, premarital counseling, I'm really not doing so great at this <laughs> i something's I'm, I'm not i'm not getting something right here and so uh i thought that we were just stepping this is going to be easy breezy we're gonna love each other and things are gonna be you know the disney version of life we moved to alaska uh living at abi this is our our third year at abi we moved into the apartment right next to eric and Kat roseboom um and we, we lived there and she she it was probably the nicest ca- uh, apartment on campus at the time um, and she wanted to to do all these projects around the house like this let's make this ours right and so one idea was she wanted to put a shower in the in the basement and i was like you do realize that we just rent here right like i i don't see the need for us to spend that kind of money on upgrading ABI, you know, like we're not going to be here forever. So let's not do that. So thank, thankfully we didn't do that. Then she'd come up with like smaller stuff. Like let's hang shelves on the wall. Let's put up the window dressings and all, like all this little stuff. But what she didn't know is that when I approached those tasks in relationship to my wife, what was happening is this yoke that I carried from my previous experience with my, with my father was coming up, swelling up inside of me oh, this is going to go poorly. And I'm, I go to get the tools out and there's just this rush of anxiety and, and uh, this is, I'm going to do all of this wrong and I'm going to have to spend so much time holding up this ceiling fan. I mean shelf, right? I had to work through all of that. It was something that I was carrying. And in the process of, of dealing with that, of, of realizing it, what, what I'm actually doing is passing it on to her and my kids. They see me frustrated in that moment around this very nonchalant thing and ask, why is dad like that? <laughs> Numbers 14, 18 says that God visits the iniquities of our fathers to the third and fourth generation. It doesn't matter if you're a saint or a sinner, if you're a believer, or if you want nothing to do with the Lord. We are in the process of sanctification. No one in here is perfect. We carry yokes that we give to other people We pass on our junk, indirectly or directly. So what's the purpose of all this? Why is this happening? Why, why do we have to live like this? Why can't we just come to the Lord and then everything's fixed? First Kings twelve, twenty-four says, Thus says the Lord. This thing is from me. The separation of the kingdoms, I'm in this, I'm doing this, you have gone astray. There's something that I want to address in your life as you seek your own ways, as you, as you reach in to hold this idol and to carry it, as you want to live life your own way. that's not what I have for you. So why? Why the yoke? Deuteronomy 28. The whole chapter is about if Israel will follow after the Lord, he will bless them. And if they won't, he's going to curse them. And he says, Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48, he says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, of all these things I've given you, of all these things that I've revealed to you, you want something else. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on you on your neck until he has destroyed you. I told you at the beginning that this God is the one who reaches in and was mighty to save. And yet in this text, he says he's willing to destroy you. Truth is, the choice is yours. He's offering you a way forward. See, you can continue to hold on to those things that you believe. My worth comes from the way that life will go is this. Where you can come to a place of knowing that you cannot carry that yoke. It's impossible for you to continue to move forward in this manner, in this way. Because it's going to kill you either way. Either you're going to do it or God can be gracious towards you and step in and help you to see. This is too heavy for you to carry. I have a better way for you. Christ's yoke. He puts on flesh and demonstrates what it's like to live a life of righteousness. When he says, I I do everything that my father says to do. Not my earthly father, my heavenly father. His plan is greater than mine. And what he says to us is, is he teaches us, he says, deny yourself. Would you take that yoke that you can't carry and put it down? Lay it to rest. Stop trying to carry it. And instead... Take up the cross that I'm carrying, that I'm with you in. Follow me and I'll teach you how to live life, man." Not only is he exchanging the yoke, but he's going to carry the new one with you to be light, to be rest. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Every obstacle that you face, every burden that you carry is too much is meant for one singular sole purpose to point you to him would you drop that thing and come to the savior would you lighten your load and give it to him and would you find security in him and him alone this is where my worth comes from this is where i value myself because he does not out of what i do respond this morning, we invite you to receive prayer, the prayer team, respond in worshiping as Chris and this team's lead us, take communion, fellowship with the Lord, you can give. Would you join us in worship? Amen. Thank you guys. Uh, The Lord is at work. He's at work in us and in our community, all around us. And I know what I'm what I'm sharing is, is heavy. It's definitely heavy for me. Uh, but one of the things that it's, it's leading me towards is to lean into God's forgiveness, to realize that I need that forgiveness and to communicate that to other people. When I'm experiencing the heaviness of this burden, what I can do is lean into him and then tell them, Can you forgive me for this? This is not how I want things to go between you and I. As you guys go about your week, would you lean into him, receive his forgiveness, know him more? We don't officially end at 1230, so if you want to stick around and help us tear down, it'd be great. Tonight we have house church, um, so check in with your house church leaders, see what's happening. Um, If you are having food insecurities or you know of someone who is, please... uh, Let us know. We'd love to help you with that. Thanks. Have a great day.